Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is a choice of the heart and not of the mind. It is experiencing the highs of life and the lows when they bombard. Love is sticking with someone, even when it's hard. Because no matter what life throws our way, we're doing this together, hand in hand. Listen, if you gave your heart to the Lord today, you need a Bible, make sure you pick one up. The ushers will have them at the end of the service. Congratulations. What an awesome God. He takes what we were and changes us, begins to do a work in us that nobody else can do. What a privilege it is to be a part of his family. Amen. Amen. Well, live wires, we'll see you later. Let's hear for our children as they leave. Oh, yeah. Ages six to sixth grade. After being away on business, Tim thought it would be nice to bring his wife a little gift. How about some perfume? He asked the cosmetics clerk. She showed him a bottle costing 50 bucks. He said, That's a bit much. So she came back with a smaller bottle for $30. It's still quite a bit, Tim complained. Growing annoyed, the clerk bought out a, a tiny $15 bottle. What I mean, said Tim, is I'd like to see something really cheap. The clerk handed him a mirror. <laughs> oh, yeah. Elijah failed to mention today that uh, every, Elijah, where are you at? He, every female teacher in the, this area, 310 female teachers got kissed this week. I mean, not kissed, but shown some love. Flowers, right? Hallelujah. Happy Valentine's Day. 36 years ago today was Christy and I's first date. Yeah. Been hanging out quite a bit together since then. <laughs> Took about nine months off when she traveled with her family and I was a youth pastor and, and uh, we were engaged but didn't see each other but, what, three weeks, three times? Not even three weeks in that nine month. And I hear everybody, why? Well, I can't be without him for like a week or so. Like, Really? Seriously? Okay. So, yeah, today's a very special day for us. Um, last week, I, I tried to show you Anchor's dance moves. 
And, and this week, Allie caught it on video, so just check this out. You got to see Anchor and it, doing his thing. Go, Anchor. Hand in hand, man. Relationships. And that's one thing a rela every relationship needs is some fun, right? Get, get some moves in there and, and just enjoy one another's company. Here's another thing that relationships need. Watch this one. This is Roman. Are you talking? After, after Brittany shot the, the video, she looked down the hole. There's like 50 Q-tips down there. She's just been putting them down, right? Every relationship needs some honesty, right? Come on. <laughs> For over 75 years, you heard that right, Harvard University has been tracking and studying the lives of 724 men from two different control groups. The first group was from among the best and brightest, a group of sophomore men at Harvard. The second group was from Boston's poorest neighborhoods, chosen specifically from the most troubled and disadvantaged families. Most lived in tenements, without, many without hot and cold running water. They wanted to discover what keeps us healthy and happy as we go through life. It's known as the Grant Study. It's the longest longitudinal study of men following the lives of men from beginning at age 18 to well into their 90s. So what did they learn? The fourth and current director of this study, Robert Waldinger, gives us the answer in his 2015 TED Talk. What are the lessons that come from the tens of thousands of pages of information that we've generated on these lives? Well, the lessons aren't about wealth or fame or working harder and harder. The clearest message that we get from this 75-year study is this. Are you ready? Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. Waldinger goes on to say, once we had followed our men all the way into their 80s, we wanted to look back at them at midlife and to see if we could predict who was going to grow into a happy, healthy octogenarian and who wasn't. And when we gathered together everything we knew about them at age 50, it wasn't their middle-aged cholesterol levels that predicted how they were going to grow old. It was how satisfied they were in their relationships. The people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. And good, close relationships seem to buffer us from some of the slings and arrows of getting old. Now, if you never heard anything else about that, that should convince you, right? You need some good relationships in your life. Amen. God knew that. That's why 
much of the Bible talks about relationships. In fact, he, from the beginning, set up relationships. And yet, we're so different, aren't we? Men and women, right? Here's a few of the differences. Uh, Nicknames. If Laura, Kate, and Sarah go out for lunch, they'll call each other Laura, Kate, and Sarah. If Mike, Dave, and John go out, they will affectionately refer to each other as fat boy, meathead, and no brains. (laughs) Eating out. When the bill arrives, Mike, Dave, and John will each throw in 20 bucks, even though it's only for $32.50. None of them will have anything smaller. None will actually admit they want change back. When the girls get their bill, out come the calculators. Money. We're different on money. A man will pay two bucks for a one dollar item he needs. A woman will pay one dollar for a two dollar item she doesn't need, but it's on sale. <laughs> Look how much I save. I can't tell you how many times Christy comes home and tells me how much she saved. <laughs> uh, looks like a cost to me. Bathrooms. A man has six items in his bathroom, toothbrush, toothpaste, shaving cream, razor, bar of soap, and a towel. Average number of items in the typical woman's bathroom is 337. And a man would not be able to identify more than 20 of these items. (laughs) We're different on arguments. A woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. Right? (laughs) Some of these are hitting way too close to home. (laughs) Success. A successful man is one who makes more money than his wife can spend. And a successful woman is one who can find such a man. (laughs) We're different on marriage. A woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. The man marries a woman expecting that she won't change, but she does. Ooh, oh, oh, ouch. Wow. Yeah. Don't throw anything at me, ladies. Offspring, we're a little different there. Woman knows all about her children. She knows about dentist appointments, romances, best friends, favorite foods, secret fears, hopes, and dreams. A man... He's vaguely aware that some short people live in the house. I'm kidding. (laughs) Someone has said marriage is hard because we're different. I don't know what happens in your house, but Christy and I are a little bit different in a few things. I've shared with you some of the uh, toothpaste problems we have. They're not really problems. In fact, a family in this church has blessed me with one of those tube squeezers that... (laughs) Okay. In, In one of my devotionals, it says this, one of you is a neat freak, the other doesn't worry much about a few socks on the floor here and there. One of you is a saver, one's a spender, one is always on time, the other is much more relaxed about the clock. One of you loves noise and energy and parties, and the other loves quiet time at home. 
One of you is creative and passionate, which is nice, but also prone to leave a trail of debris behind, which drives the other crazy. And just as Felix and Oscar argued in battle all the time in The Odd Couple, husbands and wives are vulnerable to Satan's plotting to drive the tip of a crowbar into their differences and use them as a fulcrum to pry them apart. God made us different not to drive each other crazy, but to enrich our lives and give us a bigger and wider and more interesting perspective on life. Amen. Paul the Apostle wrote to the Romans and he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Another translation, the NLT says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. I would, I would shudder to think what my life would be like had I not let her into my life. As she claims, boring, right? She claims I live in a rut. It's a nice rut. I like the rut I live in. It, it's a beautiful place. It's secure. It's comfortable, right? But... Every once in a while, she will pull me out of the rut and, and e explore things with me that I never dreamed possible. And it's a great thing. Each of us has different gifts for doing certain things well. Her life would be much less exciting without Mr. Rutt. She agrees. See, not even under the pressure of cameras and lights and microphones. She just, she, way to go, baby. I love you. So manage your differences. Celebrate your differences. Don't allow Satan to manipulate you into arguing over them. How boring your marriage would be if you and your spouse had identical views and habits. There'd only be a need for one of you, right? Any fool can complain about what you don't like about another person. It takes somebody special to celebrate the treasure you have in your spouse. And I like to tell couples and, and sometimes people in trouble that God has placed treasure in that one that you find a little difficult at times. And usually it's buried treasure. But the best kind of treasure is buried treasure because you got to dig for it, you got to find it, you got to go after it. But when you finally get there and you realize this is a blessing from God, then you uncover some things and you're like, thank you, Lord, for the buried treasure that you placed in my spouse. Amen. Amen. So dig. Dig. The funny thing is that the more you do that, the more your spouse will appreciate you and your quirks. Because you got some. Just look at, look at somebody next to you and say, you got some quirks. You got some. Okay, you don't have to list them, okay? Just, just tell them they got some. And too often we can think of marriage as a point-scoring game where one of us has to win. The unfortunate thing is if one of you wins, then you both lose. Because in marriage, you, you either both win or, or neither one of you wins.
And it's interesting in, in relationships and marriage, some people put more work into one day, their wedding day, than they'll put into a lifetime of happiness and fulfillment. And working on that, that relationship that, that really takes a lot of work and investment, right? Amen. It does. It's not all romance. Amen. I hate to shock you with that. Oh, you're not shocked. No. <laughs> oh, you live there. Yeah. We all live there. Thank the and, and the Lord knows what we need. Amen? Amen. I, uh, 30, almost 35 years ago, when Christy and I got married, I, I sang her a song. And uh, the power is gone on the keyboard. And I have no idea how to turn it on. So I see lights. I see lights. I see no sound. Thank you, Elijah. So maybe I, I want to sing it one more time. And maybe, maybe. Maybe you got somebody special sitting next to you today. Just look them in the eye and say, always and forever.
Amen. Let's see. We'll see you later. Woman went to a judge and said, I want a divorce. He said, why? She said, I don't like him. He said, you promised to take him for better or worse? She said, yeah, but he's a whole lot worse than I took him for. <laughs> You've heard me say this probably a, a bunch of times. But marriage is like a triangle. A husband and a wife and God is at the apex of the triangle. The closer that each of you get to God, the closer you get to one another. You see, we've got to walk hand in hand with the one who knows best about how relationships work. He's the one who, hand in hand, it's the only wise way to go. And, and God has a plan for each of us if we'll just follow him. In his book, The Lies Couples Believe, Dr. Chris Thurman talks about the lie of, and they lived happily ever after. And here's the lie. Being in love and feeling happy are the most important things in marriage. And here's how he explains this. He says, I took up golf about 15 years ago. Let's assume for a minute that God was the one who wanted me to play golf, which I, however, self-servingly believed to be true. Now let's ask the million-dollar question. Why did God want me to play golf. Initially, I thought it was because God wanted me to be happy. But once I started playing, I quickly realized my error. How did I know? I was really unhappy when I first started playing golf because I was really bad at it. Any golfers here? Wow. You have no idea how miserable golf can be. <laughs> Tim Brown knows. I've come to realize that golf is not designed to make golfers happy. Golf is designed to make golfers really unhappy and as a result, motivate them to become better golfers who are mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sounds like James chapter 1 verse 4 to me. I believe God wanted me to play golf because he wanted to use that particular sport to help me grow as a person both spiritually and psychologically, which, by the way, I don't always appreciate. And now when I encounter challenges and setbacks on the golf course, I look at them as opportunities to learn new skills and to become a stronger, more competent golfer. And what if you and I took that same approach in our marriages? in our relationships. Then he talks about the lie of you complete me. Thank you, Tom Cruise. She's like, shut up, just shut up. You had me at hello. Okay. And, and here's the lie. My spouse can categorically, completely, and comprehensively meet all my needs. It's impossible. And to fight this lie, we've got to wake up and realize God's the one who will meet all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Sounds like Philippians 4.19 to me. God's the only one 
capable of fully meeting our needs, not our spouses. It's just way too much pressure for any human being to handle. Your spouse cannot meet all your needs. It's not possible. They can't humanly possibly do that. Acts 17, verse 24, Paul is talking here and he says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. Hallelujah. For one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. And this God, this God, this sovereign, almighty, awesome God invites us to walk hand in hand with him as he guides us through this maze of relationships and marriage and all the challenges that we face. He satisfies every need. He can breathe life into your relationship if you'll put him first. Amen. Just turn to your neighbor and say, put him first. Put God first. Listen, you can believe these myths, these lies, and, and live a miserable existence, always believing in the fantasy that movies and television and romance novels put out there. But the reality is, you, you, you can't live in that kind of fantasy world and be real. Sometimes Christy will, well, you know Hallmark, I mean. And as Tori brilliantly said today, if you watch Hallmark, you know exactly what's going to happen. There are no surprises. And, and you can get caught up in this whole myth world, this, this fantasy world that everything works out in 30 minutes or two hours and we're all happily ever after. And that person's going to complete me. And you can find people who will always side with you if you want. In fact, Paul told Timothy, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth and chase after myths. You don't want to live there. I'm telling you, God has truth for us. Romans 12 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Get the word of God in you. It will begin to change you. Your mind will be renewed. You'll be transformed in a person who thinks God-like thoughts rather than world-like thoughts. And then you'll learn to know God's will for you, what is good and pleasing and perfect. And it takes work. I'm not going to sit here and say you can just veg out the rest of your life. No, you got to work at it. Don't be lazy about this. Proverbs says lazy people take food in their hand but don't even lift it to their mouth. I mean, the opportunity's there. Nourishment is there from God's word. Nourishment is there from godly people. Don't, don't just sit around and say, well, I don't know, I'm starving here. Really? Pick up your Bible. Start reading it. 
Get a life journal. Start following the reading plan and get the Word of God inside of you and you'll begin to grow and mature and become what God has designed you to be. A godly husband, a godly spouse, a godly wife, a godly date. That's right. It can happen. Uh-huh. And he goes on in Proverbs, the wise man says, lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. You may be married here today. You may not be married. You, this may be uh, foreign to you, and you're like, man, I'm not married. I don't want to be married. Because Paul said if you get married, you're going to have trouble in this world. I just want to be biblical. I don't, I don't want to have trouble in this world. You know what Jesus said? If you're going to follow me, you're going to have trouble. Amen. The world's going to hate you. So you can have trouble with an extra person hanging on with you and going, let's do this together. You can have trouble all by yourself. <laughs> Even if you're married, you may be two strangers simply living together, coexisting in marriage. Can I tell you God has bigger plans in, in, than that? Relationships are a big deal. In fact, marriage, if you've ever been to one of my wedding ceremonies, I always say this. Marriage is God's idea. He came up with the whole idea. And if God ever created anything that wasn't good, he would have said so. But he kept saying, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And then when he got to man, he said, good, very good. What does God have to say about it? Genesis chapter 2, this is where things started kicking big time. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for them. It's not good. It's not, oh, there's one thing that's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. Out of all of his creation, God stopped and said, there's one thing that's not good here. And it's that man's alone. So, I will make a helper who is just right for him. Amen. A helper, just right. I mean, you can, uh, never mind. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. The man chose a name for each one, crocodile, hippopotamus. They gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. First, uh, first place where we see What's that stuff you guys do in the surgery room? Anesthesia. That's it. First, heavenly anesthesia. Okay? Deep sleep. I've had a few surgeries, and they always say, count backwards. I'm like, huh? You don't know. You wake up like, oh, that was fun. Wow. Where have I been? Um, I, I had a colonoscopy not long ago. I just highly recommend it. It's... It's, wow. 
The prep day is amazing. It just so if you're saying no, no, I don't want to do. Yeah, you need to. This is good stuff. But they kept telling me you're getting propofol. I'm like, okay. It was happy. I was happy. Happy to have them do their thing. By the way, all clear. Everything's good. So I will never do that again. <laughs> okay, where was I? So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. I love verse 23. At last! Exclamation point. The man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. And she will be called, Whoa, man. Because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Leave, cleave, and weave. You leave, you cleave, and you weave your lives into one. No longer two, but one. Now, your relationship can be inspiring, incredible, amazing, or could be stagnant, discouraging, or maybe even toxic. The good news is you, somebody say me, you have the ability to set the culture in your relationship. In fact, you actually have a responsibility to set the culture. Dr. Samuel Chand, talking about business, but I would say as well in relationships, he says in business, people function most effectively if they're given control or authority with responsibility. You need to have a clear understanding of your responsibility, your role, your contribution. Mutual trust among team members is the glue that makes everything good possible. Without it, a team quickly disintegrates into a gang of people protecting their turf and forming angry alliances. Healthy teams, however, foster the perspective that failure isn't a tragedy and conflict isn't the end of the world. Great leaders welcome dissenting opinions as long as they're offered in goodwill with an eye toward a solution. And when they look at one another, they don't see competitors. They see friends who have their backs as they take big risks. What an insight into how marriage and relationships work as well as business if we work it right. It'll work if you work it. It'll work if you work it. Paul the Apostle offered some insight into this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, without Botox. It, instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church, and we're members of his body. I mean, there's a whole lot in here. And I've never met a woman who was married to a man who was unwilling to submit to her husband when her husband loves her as Christ loves the church and gives himself up for her. Why would you? Why would you push against that? Because it's a win-win. Everybody's winning here because we're all working toward one thing. Right? As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Leave, cleave, and weave. It's a great mystery, Paul says. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man, verse 33, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul gives us a little insight here in verse 33. The language of the husband is respect, and the language of the wife is love. And sometimes we don't communicate in the right language, so we're not heard. My dad, love him to death, uh, he's, he's in his 80s. But when I was real young, I was in ninth grade actually, uh, he took us overseas to South America on a missions trip. And he kept getting approached by people to buy cigarettes. My dad doesn't speak Spanish. And so my dad would say, no smoky. And they would keep coming. Like, no smoky. I said, Dad, they don't understand you. He said, no smoky. I'm like, Dad, they don't get it. You're not communicating. You can say it louder, but it's not the right language. Right? And, and sometimes, are we done? We're not done, are we? Okay, thank you. Sounds like done to me. If it's not the right language, we will never communicate. 
So as a husband, when you observe, observe your wife reacting negatively, ask yourself, am I coming across in an unloving way? Right? I may be right, but am I unloving? And as a wife, when you see your husband shutting down, ask, am I coming across in a disrespectful way? There may be a whole lot of truth to what I'm saying, but is it disrespectful to him? A young bride-to-be was very nervous on the day before her wedding, so she spoke with the minister. She said, I'm afraid I might not make it through the ceremony properly. The minister assured her that everything would be fine. When you enter the church tomorrow and the processional begins, you'll be walking down the same aisle you've walked many times before. Concentrate on that aisle. When you get halfway down the aisle, you'll see the altar where you and your family have worshipped for many years. Concentrate on that altar. Then when you're almost to the altar, you'll see your groom, the one you love. Concentrate on him. The bride was relieved and left to prepare for a big moment. The next day, she walked down the aisle with her chin up and eyes bright. Beautiful, confident bride. But those along the center were, were a bit surprised to hear her muttering over and over, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. That's exactly what they heard. And sometimes we think that's our job, right? In fact, Barbara Rainey shares the same idea. Watch this. I remember very clearly early in our marriage, and I mean very early in our marriage, probably six months into it, when I realized one day that we were really different people. And not only were we different, but my husband had a different approach to life than I did. And it was the first time that I realized that his approach wasn't just different, but maybe it wasn't quite right. Maybe it could be fixed. And I thought to myself, let's see, what do I do with this? How do I, I mean, do I say something? Do I not say something? And I thought about it for a while, and I decided that the solution had to be to pray about it. So I made this, I started making this list and I got a, literally got a piece of paper in my little prayer journal because I was trying really hard to be this godly woman and I thought that was a part of it. So I put this piece of paper in it, I put his name at the top and when I noticed things that needed to be changed, I began to put them in the journal. And specifically, I remember it was his impulsive side that I thought, well, maybe that could be tamed a little bit. Maybe his mom just didn't teach him how to be organized because he would lose things and couldn't find things because he just would impulsively drop it where he, when he walked in the door. So I thought it just was really a training issue. And so I decided I would just pray about these things and that God would do the changing and he would do some fixing. And I would read all of those things to God every single day. And after about two weeks of reading this list of 10 items every day to God, reminding him, it was like they were written in neon ink on his back. And every time I looked at my new husband, all I saw were all these things that were wrong with him. And after a while, I just began to not like the result very much. It didn't feel real good because I enjoyed him and we enjoyed being married and we had fun together. but. Now all of a sudden, because I was praying about these things, it wasn't so fun anymore. I wasn't enjoying him because I was noticing all the things that were wrong. And then I realized maybe instead what I should do is I should pray for 
what God wanted to do in his life. And I specifically, at different seasons of time, would pray that, for instance, that he would become more like Joseph, who was a man of integrity. And so it was a great relief for me as a wife to know that it wasn't my responsibility to change my husband. And there isn't a wife who has ever lived or one who is yet to be who will not at some point in her marriage want to change her husband. But any changing of lives is God's business. And it was a lesson I learned early on that was really valuable, that was a good foundation stone in our marriage going forward.